Hey, welcome to the Parallax Podcast. I'm Liz Brown. Today, in continuation of our coverage of COVID-19's impact in Philadelphia, I sat down for a Zoom conversation with Sharon Gallagher, co-founder of Sage Communications. Sage is a social impact communications firm here in Philadelphia. They're dedicated to helping nonprofits, foundations, public agencies, and other social enterprises amplify what they do to create positive change and meaningful impact in the city. Sharon and her co-founder, Barbara Beck, leverage their experience in nonprofit, philanthropy, journalism, marketing, and public affairs to help organizations they work with to build creative messaging strategies. In this conversation, Sharon and I talked about how COVID-19 is impacting philanthropy in Philly and the importance of effective communication strategies for nonprofits and social enterprises to find support in moments like this. Can you explain what a social impact communications firm is and and tell us how you and Barbara Beck came to set up Sage and why you felt it was needed? Social impact communications is a fairly new term. It really allows us to be a little more specific about the value that we bring to the table because the organization delivers the social impact. We tend to say that we accelerate it or support it. So we find the best way of using a communication strategy to align exactly with those overarching goals. So it's looking for an initiative or a program that you know wants to target a specific group or community. And then we figure out based on what those goals are, of how we're going to use communications then to help you reach and persuade those audiences. And I understand that you both come from the philanthropy uh, side, um, most notably the the Pew Charitable Trust, but both of you have different initial work experiences, journalism for Barbara and marketing and strategic communications for you. How have these uh, experiences influenced and shaped your respective and collective approaches? Yeah, it's, a, it, it's really turned out we're 16 years old, which is mind-blowing, um, you know, and we're a, uh, a woman-owned business. So over the 16 years, when we kind of look at that combination of, you know, why we started the firm and the different skills is with Barbara being a journalist, she always has a completely, a former journalist, a completely different way of looking at like what's a story or how to tell it. And she's always really looking at it through a reporter's lens. And, you know, she's really proud of that and and really likes that. And clients like it too, the organizations we work with. And my background is I actually have nonprofit background as well, which uh, many of our clients like too. In my my young 20s, (laughs) I worked for the MS Society, the National Multiple Square Society. And so in communications and development, I have the roots of what it takes in the nonprofit world to, you know, be doing a hundred things on small budgets at different times and with fundraising while also communicating and providing services. So that, that actually is another skill set that I brought to Sage. And then I also work for big, you know, small, medium, large advertising agencies and worked on products so, you know, taking all of that when we went to Pew, then it was just both of us for seven years learned philanthropy. And that was a completely new ball game and something that is just, you know, incredibly valuable. Knowing how foundations give out their money and make decisions and then how they measure their impact is very valuable to, you know, what we do at Sage. But I'd say one of the common denominators and probably the skills that 
both of us have and really we used at Pew, but we're now using it Sage is just storytelling. That's the key, I think, that really makes the difference in, in, you know, a firm like ours. Sure. I mean, I think storytelling is really important. And especially right now with the COVID-19 pandemic, how has storytelling changed for you uh, since, since the pandemic has hit? It's just huge what's happened in the last few weeks. You know, we're in February, you know, we were right in the middle still of a strong economy and the election year was front and center more than anything else that we were all talking about. And so you had to connect your stories to those things, especially what was coming up in the election year. You always kind of say you have to connect your stories to that. You have to find, you know, how are you going to get these candidates to talk about the issues that are important to you and how can you talk about you know, the value that you have as an organization. And there was also an uptick in, you know, socially responsible businesses who were really just getting into some super creative ways. And, you know, I thought for real and not public relations of how companies and, you know, watching this happen in Philadelphia was really exciting because, you know, it's taken a few years for, socially responsible kind of businesses or businesses defined like what they want to give back. So I felt like all that was happening and those telling those stories was, you know, it's, it was tougher because everybody was telling those stories and so many different issues. It was hard to get the attention of media and to be able to tell your story. If you did want to tell it to the media, you had to find a way to tell it you know, in a digital way, in a digital platform or directly, you know, direct storytelling. So for the last three weeks, you know, people really, our, our clients, the ones that we're working with now, you know, everybody's trying to either sit back a little bit because they know that it's not a, extremely appropriate to just be, you know, business as usual. You have to completely change your story. You know, that's a that's a good point. I've been talking to a lot of founders of startups about when is it appropriate to market certain things? And I feel like people are struggling. It's a big ethical debate. When is it okay to reach out to someone about your product or service during this time? I don't know the answer. Um, it's, it's probably difficult for you to answer as well, but it's been something that I've been having daily conversations about with some of the companies that I, that I support. You know, I, I have been extremely impressed uh, with how companies are pivoting right now and changing their ads. And, you know, it's the big ones. It's the products that are out there who can afford to do that and have these commercials that are beautiful and show compassion. You know, I think people are just trying really, you know, not to, they want to keep their brand present, but you really have to change the message. And for smaller companies, and that's, you know, so many of us, I mean, smaller companies have to do that right now to stay in touch with their consumer or, you know, just their markets because, you know, smaller businesses are just like more than any other and nonprofits that I'm seeing. How are we going to do this? How are we even going to stay in front of our customers if we can't advertise because we don't have the money to do that? Or, you know, we can use some direct, but I think it's okay now to go ahead and do an e-newsletter, do a, you know, any kind of email communications, don't call people necessarily, but there are enough ways, I think, to still be in touch with 
your customer and they probably would think you might be a little behind the eight ball if you aren't because people are going to have to keep their products and businesses alive. We were talking to one client about doing direct mail. People are at home and are actually looking in their mailboxes and mailboxes are kind of thin right now, which is interesting. You know, so a, a very small direct mail piece, whether it's from a nonprofit, a for-profit or anything, Actually, if it's done in good taste and again, acknowledges that there is a problem and that there is a crisis, it's a great time to do direct mail and, and web ads. You know, people are looking at their Facebook. We also said that was a great place to, to be right now, no matter what business you're in and Instagram. So I just think it's the, the medium and the message and being extremely thoughtful. And I see some of the companies, I'm like, good for you. You know, I just love the fact that they're turning on a dime and getting these ads done and, and not trying to get you to buy anything necessarily. It's more about just caring and brand. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And I think that I've seen a huge uptick in people being online because people have nothing else to do besides being on social media right now. And I think this is the new normal and, and it might be the new normal for a while now. It's been so many weeks already and there's an unforeseeable future. <laughs> Everyone's using the word indefinitely. So we don't really know how long this will last. And I think that people really need to get used to using social media ads, especially. I just had a conversation with another, uh, another organization that wants to launch audio and video stuff that they've never done before. And they're trying to figure out how to make that, how to make that a possibility. So I do think that a lot of people, because they can't actually physically get in front of someone, they're, they're trying to shift their priorities to audio, video, and, and social media ads. I, I think another devastating thing is, you know, this is a really hard time for nonprofit organizations. They're being forced to cut staff and programming, and, and a lot of them won't be able to recover. Do you have any advice for, for nonprofits that are trying to, to stay alive from from a communication standpoint? It depends what sector they're in. Education, especially public education and just, you know, K through 12 education, I should say. And anybody in the health and human services and healthcare industries, I don't want to say they're going to be okay, but they're going to be much better off than some other arts and culture. You know, it's just, they're the industry that is definitely being hurt the most in terms of the nonprofit sector, because you know, they're not in hospital, they're not in schools, you know, they're, how they're pivoting in terms of their communications is, you know, really making the case for how arts and culture really is part of the fabric of our lives. That no, they're not, you know, creating a, a vaccine for COVID-19, but how many Things have you watched recently online where people are playing instruments or singing or actors or people from Broadway and they're making us happy and they're bringing culture into our lives. And that's what they do even in non-crisis times. And so they really as a sector are really trying hard to make the case for why people still need to donate. And last week, there was this great announcement of this Arts Aid PHL fund at the city of Philadelphia, the, their Office of Arts, Culture, and the Creative Economy, and then the Philadelphia Culture Alliance, and then the Culture Fund. They're all three Philadelphia-based city departments, organizations, then partnered with the 
Philadelphia Cultural Alliance. And they, together with William Penn Foundation and the Barra Foundation being kind of the two that stepped up first, launched this big fund to be able to, it really was focused at individual artists and small, you know, to medium-sized organizations that have I think the annual budgets of like 250 to 15 million. I think this first wave was for annual budgets no greater than 250. And then the next, you know, will be for ones that are larger. But to be able to keep those organizations alive. So their message has to be anybody who's in that sector. You have to show, really demonstrate when you apply for funding. What are you going to do? to, you know, stay alive and what does that contribute to the economy and to, you know, just making quality of life in in the greater Philadelphia area. Arts and culture really have to have different messaging compared to an organization like MANA that does food delivery to people who are at home and you know, they've forever been out there. It started with when people when people were staying home because they were being treated for AIDS, that they had food delivered to their homes and they've lasted for so many years. And now, you know, they're doing the same thing and their funding and their messages now more than out, you know, they're having to do much more like fill abundance and those food organizations, but other nonprofits that are, you know, somebody was asking me about, like, what do you do if you're in the, you know, environment sector? You know, what do you do if you're doing climate change? And if somebody cares about climate change, if that's their issue, they're still going to care about climate change. They don't want that organization to suffer or go away just because there's this pandemic. They know it's not going to last forever. And when people do get back up on their feet, it's like, I hope you're there because I really still care. My A number one issue might be climate change. So that's, again, just I've been doing a lot of webinars myself is kind of having that conversation about how you just look at your current messages, the ones that just aren't going to stick right now, throw them out. Just really find the messages that have the most value now. That value piece and really looking at your value proposition is the A number one and just, you know, focusing on one or two things instead of five that you can do. Yeah, I actually I've been reading, I've been trying to read a lot about things like resilience and perseverance. And I even reread Start With Why and just listening to Angela Duckworth's grit as well. And I just think that anyone who wants to continue to stay alive right now needs to be resilient, needs to persevere, and they need to be creative like startups are. They need to think about how they can pivot their messaging or strengthen their messaging. I mean, when I think of the arts, my immediate thought is I make music and you're right. We listen to music. I was, I listened to the Philadelphia Orchestra when they had their WHYY videos come up. They did it twice now. That was amazing to me. And my first thought is mental health issues are on the rise right now. So any arts organization needs to talk about the healing qualities of the arts, yep. how that helps people to deal with these types of situations and to come out of it. Because there are a lot of people right now losing their jobs and they're going to have to be creative in ways that they've never thought to be <laughs> before. Yeah, I totally um, agree with that. I do. Yeah. yeah. 
And I mean, when you think about that with it, when you said the orchestra, I mean, look at the Kimmel Center. It's, you know, one of our places that the whole community goes and they had a whole Broadway series. They had, they had to close all these theaters, their whole campus. That's a huge venue. And they have not only the orchestra, but, you know, all the other organizations under their umbrella. And I happened to sit on their marketing committee and they're being extremely creative and doing things that they never, you know, had planned on doing. Even with the best crisis communications plan, it's, this is like tactics that nobody's ever had to really consider before. Speaking of crisis communications plans, right? You know what they are. I know what they are. How do we, (laughs) how do we help others who have never made that type of plan understand where to start, even though we're already in a crisis? Like, where can they start right now? I think, you know, that we always say, too, that there's a difference between crisis communications and reputation management, because crisis is a pretty heavy word. And this is a crisis for us as a country and and the world. But, you know, some people are just going to be dealing with a really difficult situation to manage. So I think a lot of people are just in, you know, the mode of solving problems. And if they do have to kind of move into that crisis mode, the first thing we always say is just be as honest as you can be. Don't spin anything. And if you, you know, have done something wrong or in this situation, if you tried to do something that backfired, at least say it, you know, hospitals, they're totally in crisis. I think every day about what I would do if I was in a hospital and was their crisis communications person, and they're doing a great job. They're just getting out information every day to the public health departments. They're making it known what they, what they need. So that honesty, and then also just find the right spokesperson and make sure that you're consistent. That person, you can tell in organizations right now, there's pretty much one or two people who are speaking on behalf of an organization and make sure that person is just believable and is sincere and, you know, that people actually really respect them. Every company should be talking to their employees every day and just giving them some kind of information. Working through a crisis time is just making sure that you're constantly touching people who work for you and, you know, to make sure again, that you're being honest. If you're going to have to lay people off, give them a heads up. If you're going to have to cut back salaries, say it now. People just want the honesty and it can hurt, but it's just best, you know, especially if you're dealing with reporters or people who are going to be telling your story for you, you just want to make sure you're credible, honest, and consistent. Yeah, I think consistency is definitely the key. And it's interesting because I've been in several meetings over the past few weeks where people are freaking out. They don't know what to do. I've I've actually heard from so many different perspectives uh, throughout this process so far. I've heard from people who have to lay off large percentages of their team and not being ready to do it, not knowing where to start, but knowing that they have to do it 
and not having conversations about that. I've talked to people who they don't have budget for a marketing team and now they're enlisting (laughs) really random people from their team to do marketing materials, which I think is a mistake. (laughs) You shouldn't be having people who don't have a background in, in communications, creating communications for your organization, especially if it's a large institution, which some of these organizations I've I've heard from are. And it's just it's just frustrating because also the day-to-day communication, which I agree, communication is so important. You have to talk to people or at least have some kind of touch point every day. But then there are so many, so many younger people who don't understand why management is doing that. And they're getting frustrated with having to be in meetings every day that they didn't have to do prior to. And I think that it's a struggle on all sides. Yeah. Internal communications is, you know, as important as external communications because morale and how you treat people during a crisis time totally affects your brand and it makes, you know, has everything to do with morale. And you've seen some companies that are not handling it well. They just are working people and not giving them, you know, enough time or considering their health and that's going to backfire. So just taking care of the people who work for you and your vendors and your customers, just communicating and being um, as good as you can be. You have to realize that if you don't speak in the right voice now, it's just, it will definitely damage you down the road. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I don't like the idea of people who don't have a background in communications being pulled to the forefront of this, because I think that people don't, (laughs) they don't realize what the repercussions are going to be of them choosing to go the cheap route. <laughs> oh, sure. And then that person is so stressed out because they know that they don't know what they're doing. And it's the one skill or job that it seems, you know, when you sit around the meeting, it's like, can somebody, who thinks that they're a good writer and can write a press release? You know, it just is, <laughs> oh, you're a good writer. Can you write the press release? You know, it just seems like it's the one thing that is always given to anybody. Oh, I'm, I'm creative. I can do that. Or, and then that person takes a hit if the communications is not right. Or, you know, if there's a mistake, then suddenly it's like, I, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I, I told a reporter this when I should have told them that, or I sent this out to mass when I should have sent it to 20 people. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. I've seen a few of these, uh, (laughs) I've seen a few crazy emails go out and people sending lists to the wrong people. Because databases are being used right now in a very different way. And you have to decide, you know, if you're only going to send to one particular sector or slice of your database. And that's another thing. People are just in their databases now that don't know how to use them necessarily. If they are sparse, their staff is, you know, half of what it was. And So I think people, you know, are doing the best that they can do. It's just, I, again, one thing when you said about, you know, how to manage crisis is we have to still be optimistic. Everything can't be gloom and doom. You have to show that you can be optimistic and here's what we can do. And I think some people right now are driving down that, like, we're going to fail if we don't. There aren't going to be any nonprofits or small businesses left if we don't do this. Well, there's resources out there for them. And yes, we, all, we may fail, these small businesses, but at least, you know, you got to put out the message that you're trying the best you can do and that it's, you know, you're being optimistic and creative and innovative and 
instead of we're, we're going to go out of business or we're not going to be existing in the next year if people don't give X amount of money to us. And so the optimistic message is something people definitely want to hear. Yeah. And um, I want to go back to something that we touched on earlier, because last week we talked to Mari Porter about the collaborative effort between United Way Foundation and the Philadelphia Foundation to work with the city to shape the PHL COVID-19 fund to aid nonprofits working on the front lines of combating the virus here in Philadelphia. What are some other examples of organizations that you've seen stepping up over the past few weeks? Yeah, the one that I mentioned, again, that was kind of, and that that's what I really like about these organizations that are actually collaborating is there's always been partnerships, but not like this. I'm just so happy when I see people who usually compete with each other coming together. And the beauty of the COVID-19, the one that you talked about, the fund that's with the Philadelphia Foundation and United Way managing them, is it's for the greater Philadelphia area. It's not just Philadelphia specific. And so it's really looking at the suburbs and how it's kind of the greater economy that it's not just specific to Philadelphia. Because sometimes people don't like to give to, oh, I'm not giving if it's just for Philadelphia. So I think the beauty of these funds has been that they're, you know, even going into New Jersey and Camden, you know, so the United Way has a huge geographic area and people were potentially confused because it was PHL. So there's definitely a, a push to make sure that people know that it's serving people outside of Philadelphia as well. You know, with the fund for the school district. That's been another one where people are just coming together, like Brian Roberts and his wife, Aileen, and his family, you know, also the, the collaborative effort of making sure that all the kids in Philadelphia public schools had Chromebooks. We worked with the Sixers to announce their two managing partners, the owners, and the Sixers gave also funds to buy the Chromebooks and, and they're still raising money, you know, because these needs, you know, just talking about doing graduation for kids remotely and how you kind of touch and use a lot of different media to do that. People are contributing to that. But if you go on to um, the Chronicle of Philanthropy, there's a laundry list of not just in Philadelphia, but across the country where these funds like you're talking about with the PHL community foundation funds, they're everywhere. People are coming together and people are giving. And it's just really gratifying to see that there is this desire for people to be giving. The foundations that the next day were fast as could be. It just showed that foundations that normally take you know, a few months for their board to decide and they have to go through this process and vetting. Pro People are like, get the money out the door and give it to them for operating support because we can't ask a lot of questions right now. We have to like keep them alive. And, you know, it was just impressive to see nationally. Uh, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation gave $50 million, completely changed how they give money normally to health policy. They just turned it around and within two weeks said we're going to give $50 million to organizations that are just really meeting the needs of vulnerable populations. So those kind of funds and it, it I, the list is so long now and the ones that did it immediately, it was kind of, we heard about those and now it's like, you can't, you almost have to group them all together because there are so many in different sectors and they're all going directly to operating support. 
you know, without many strings, you know, attached to that. Yeah, it is pretty amazing. People aren't people are trying to move quick where they can. I'm I'm hoping that it has has a lasting impact. Do you think that COVID nineteen pandemic will, I guess, have a lasting impact, a positive impact on philanthropy and social impact efforts? I do. I really do. I mean, I think the 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 Greater Philadelphia there's a philanthropy network of Greater Philadelphia here. And it's basically an association for all the foundations, both the private, independent, the corporate foundations are part of that as well. And they are really, you know, I know so many of the members and we kind of have connections to them and hearing how they are talking about how this is definitely gonna have a long-term effect of philanthropy in Philadelphia and in a positive way. It's that this partnership, you know, a lot of foundations just want, you know, the, these are our guidelines. This is where, how we give. We only give twice a year and they're very, you know, they can be super niche. And what we've seen in the last few weeks is just people saying to their boards and the boards being extremely flexible, like we have to partner. We This isn't exactly what we always do, but now is the time for us to make sure that we're stepping up because that combined money is going to make a big difference. I'm impressed. I'm really impressed with the philanthropy sector. I'm just, you know, sometimes people are critical of, you know, how these huge endowments and they only give out the 5% they have to. And, but this really has given me new hope that philanthropy and foundations can really make a huge difference. I mean, I don't know what we'd be doing without them right now. I have to give a hand, the kind of like a, uh, a high five to the city of Philadelphia. You know, it gave hope to people that the PIDC and the Commerce Department here in Philadelphia very quickly, within days, announced these loans that were going to be available. And many of them are grants and forgivable loans and so I have to say what usually moves pretty slowly was pretty fast in making sure that at least they were trying to make sure the small businesses got some support. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I definitely think, I mean, and <laughs> in the news right now, there's been a lot of conversation about federal versus versus state. And I do think that locally things are happening it's federally where things are being held up. These larger support funds that are supposed to be out here are just not making it. But I, I think I think you're right. Philadelphia is making a lot of moves, and um, you know, there's a lot of lot of cool opportunities for people right now to apply for grant funding and loans and things that didn't exist several weeks ago, and there were still people struggling back then. So maybe they'll get the help they need, and um, hopefully, this is spotlighting all of the needs of people who are underrepresented, especially who really need it. And it kind of fits back to um, one of your podcasts that Bruce Katz was a guest, you know, the new localism. It's just that speaks to kind of like how people want to give. And to your point, cities across the country are just not going to wait for the federal government. They're doing everything they can to take care of their own cities. And now look at the states even kind of pushing back on, you know, this administration saying like governors can make these decisions, you know, we have to work together as governors and we're not necessarily going to 
wait for the federal government. We, we can make these decisions and cities are, you know, doing the same thing. And, you know, I think, again, that goes back to just even government being creative, which is usually the kind of last place that's super creative. But I just think there are some policymakers and especially these governors, I think they get high marks too, just doing great jobs. We talked a little bit about resources and and things that people should know about, but is there anything else that we should leave people with as far as resources that you've organized or where people can find these resources, how people can get in touch with you and and learn about SAGE? Yeah. um, Again, some great resources. I've been finding the Stanford Social Innovations Review also has some great resources for communications, nonprofit and for-profit. The number of webinars that are out there are overwhelming, but I'm trying to do them myself because everybody's just sharing ideas. The Communications Network is an organization that I personally have belonged to since Pew. We helped to actually found that organization and now they're across the country. They originally were for foundations and now nonprofits are part of them too. They have excellent webinars and they have great resources every day. They're putting, you know, have speakers and offering a lot of free content. And so Sage, yes, definitely. We do offer all kinds of support and helping people remessage and how to shift their strategic communications plan. And, and we're one of those small businesses that's, you know, we're restructuring and rethinking and, you know, doing a lot going to be offering a lot of different services now. It's not business as usual. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me for this. I wish that we could have met in person, but uh, we should. one of these days. <laughs> no, I've enjoyed the conversation and hopefully it's helpful to the people who are listening to the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. A very special thanks to Sharon for taking the time to do the interview. If you'd like to share any thoughts on this conversation, be sure to leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. You can also connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or send an email to info at parallaxcollab.com.